Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. Well, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to uh, put a marker in Matthew 22 and turn to Ezekiel 14. Marker in Matthew 22 and flip to Ezekiel 14. That's where we're going to be headed today. Uh, Today's going to be a little bit of a a different message style from me. Uh, And by that, I mean there's not three points. It's going to be more of a story form of of a message today as we conclude our Heart for the Kingdom uh, sermon series. I'm excited for where I feel like the Lord's taking us uh, for the Easter season and beyond. Uh, We're going to start a a message, a series of messages entitled Victorious. We we battle, we we are positioned from a place of victory, amen? We don't have to fight for victory, literally, that's where we are coming from. We just have to reinforce what God's already done in our lives. So that's where we're headed for Easter. I'm going to have a lot of fun with that right now because it's really in my heart to, to share that. But we'll, we'll hold that until, uh, until the Easter season gets here. I'm really, really excited about that, though, um, if you can't tell. Um, but we're going to conclude this, this Heart for the Kingdom series today with a message that's just simply entitled Captured at Heart, a captured heart. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we come back to often is that God wants all of us. He doesn't want part of it. And sometimes as we go in this journey of life, things cause separation. Every, every relationship doesn't stay like glue all the time. Amen? Uh, I wish that that wasn't the case, but we find that that is often what is reality. In this series so far, we've looked at how we are the, the treasure. In week one, we looked at how we're the treasure uh, that Jesus paid everything for in order to go and purchase in that parable. Uh, it's a one-verse one parable. It's the, one of two of them in the, in the whole New Testament so we talked about how we, we were worth that. We were the, the treasure, that pearl of great price. He was willing to sacrifice everything for in order to purchase us. And then in week two, we talked about how if we're going to live uh, with a kingdom heart, that we have to live embracing paradox. That, you know, you're not going to get away from it. A paradox is not two doctors walking down the hallway. That's not a paradox. Uh, a paradox is something that seems unre- unrealistic, but yet it can be true. Uh, and so we, look, we talked about how the Bible really is full of that. Uh, that we can be truly forgiven without ever paying a price. And we looked at at several different paradoxes in there and what they mean for us today and how we live. And today we're going to look at how having a heart for the kingdom means having a heart that has been captured by God. We have to have a heart that's been captured. Uh, Everybody's heart gets captured. Everybody's attention gets captured. So in this um, message, I'm going to start out uh, kind of with an analogy, uh, an example from marriage, if you will. Uh, if, you, if you think back to, uh, r- regardless of if you had a wonderful marriage, a terrible marriage, if you're a widow now, if you, um, you, know, if, you couldn't, if you could find your ex and they were on fire, you wouldn't spit on them to help put it out. Regardless of that, at some point in time, you went through some of these early stages that we're going to talk about, okay? So when we think back to that relationship, you know, that marital, marriage relationship and how it all got started, something happens. You know, you, you, you go along and all of a sudden... There she is, and she catches your attention. There's an attraction that happens there. All of a sudden, you're interested. Now, this whole story is going to be from my perspective towards my wife, okay? 
So ladies, just bear with me. Because if I was to talk about it from the other way, that'd get really weird really fast. So just hang with me and make it, make it work for you, okay? So they catch our eye, right? And there's an attraction that happens. And all of a sudden, like the heart, you know, flutters and there's palpitations that happen. And you're like, wow, man, she's good looking. I, how did I not notice this before? Maybe, maybe you said. Uh, then something happens where, where they catch, uh, first they catch our, our eye, then they catch our attention. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves involved in a, a dating type of a relationship where we're, we're spending money to go out and spend time with them. We're making that kind of an investment. You know, you're, you're starting to, to set up, you know, time on the weekends when normally, you know, you and your buddies would have gone out and done stuff. But now, you know, that, that's not going to work, you know, because, you know, you, you, your attention is divided. All of a sudden, you, you have this other person that matters. And so you're giving them your attention. Well, then what happens is they catch a hold of our planning. In other words, there's a commitment that happens there. And all of a sudden, our planning kind of goes like this. Hey, what time do you get off work? Do you want to have some dinner after that and maybe go catch a movie? I know it's only Monday night, but does that really matter? Hey, what time do you get off work today? I know I just saw you last night, and I know it's Tuesday. But guess what? There's a ball game on, and we could go watch. Hey, I know it's Wednesday night. And we, should, we, we need to go to church, so let's find a service that we can be in. No, I'm not going to that crazy church of yours. You can come with me. Somebody's going to say that somewhere, right? <laughs> all of a sudden, all of our planning. Hey, I was thinking about taking a vacation this summer, but I'll forego that if you want to go do something. We start to change our plans and our, our, our perspective, and all of a sudden, everything about our relationship begins to filter through this lens of our lives together because we're in, in commitment. We're committed to life with them. We, we don't want to see our lives apart from them. We start to see that that becomes the case. So then we get to this fourth stage that I, I like to call the, that they've caught our heart. And now all of a sudden we're ready to make a covenant relationship with them. We're ready to sign our name on the dotted line. You know, just last night we had a, a wedding here in the sanctuary for Paul Beal's daughter Marianne and her husband Tony. And, uh, and so while we were doing it, you know, like right before the service, you know, I tell Tony, hey, listen, you know, I know you, I know you guys have been together for a little while, but, you know, if you want, um, I'll help you out the back door and then I'll, I'll go take the blame for it, you know, if, you, if it's not what you want to do, right? If any guy ever says yes to that, thank God. He, better to have done it then than to have lived a heartache and, and ended up much worse off down the road, Right? I know that's not very popular preaching because it's that special day, right? But here's the, here's the point. We, we make these plans and we're signing the covenant line. So we get all done and I get the marriage certificate and I've married them before God and I'm going to sign over the legal right and make sure it's all done legally before the state. And I say, now, Tony, listen, hey, we've we're, we're, we got to sign all this paperwork. I filled out my part signifying that I have the authority to, to do this. Are you ready to sign your name signifying you're, forget, you're foregoing your, never mind, um, signing that you're covenanting with her for a life together, right? And so, of course, yeah, yeah, we sign the paperwork and we get everything all done and, and now their, their life has begun together and they're moving forward and, and we go through these relationships, right, where it's covenant. Somewhere bes between stages three and four, uh, where, where we're already uh, making all of these plans, something happens that captures our heart. All of a sudden, 
Uh, we're, we're already planning to spend every possible moment with them. We can't get enough of their perfume or their cologne. And every time you're in some store and some lady walks by and she's wearing that perfume that reminds you of your loved one, all of a sudden it's like, hey, I wonder what Rachel's doing. And you take out your phone and you send a message. You know, or, or if you happen to be eating lunch alone, you take a picture of that empty seat and you send her that picture and say, boy, I sure do wish that you were here. Because they've captured our heart. They've got us. They, they, they have every part of who we are. We can't get away from thinking about them. We, we think about them all day. Uh, we can't get them out of our minds. We can't wait to see them that night. We can't help but have our emotions, our thoughts, our hopes, our dreams, and our plans wrapped up with them. We can't help but want to spend every possible moment. So what do we do? We do what we're supposed to do. And we propose. We make plans to make this official, make it righteous in God's sight. And as the wedding draws closer and closer, we start to get excited because it means we won't have to say goodbye at night anymore. But after we've said I do, we'll get to say good night, sleep tight. It's amazing how things begin to change when that covenant has happened. And then, and then, Something at times in some relationships begins to change just a few years after the marriage process has happened. Maybe it's us fellows, we decide, you know what? Working out's just not that important anymore. It's not important as it used to be, and the queso and the tortillas are way more important than ever before. You know, the ability of our body to work through things at the age of 25, at 35 and 40 is just not nearly the same. We decide that work and excelling and thriving in our workplace may be just a little bit more important than that time at home, so we stay a little bit later so we can pay for that nicer life that the wifey wants. Then you throw kids into the mix, and eventually you have no time just left for the two of you. And before you know it, there's a lack of intimacy at home that has led to wandering eyes, lingering conversations with that coworker that has again caught our attention, and somehow there's an act of betrayal that occurs that everyone except for the person involved is able to see coming. I promise you in all of my years in ministry, in all of my years in my father's years in ministry, in all of the years in Pastor Mike's years in ministry, in all of the years in, in Marvin's ministry, Pastor Dan's ministry, not one time have we ever had anyone come into us and say, you know what, today is the day I'm going to throw it all away. Never happens that way. From the outside, it may look like that's what happened, but it never happens that way. There is a process that transpires in this occurrence. Little by little, what truly happens biblically is we allow, allow idolatry to invade our lives. Idolatry isn't something that we talk about very much uh, anymore, but you know what? If we're honest, our lives are filled with it. We've made the American dream into an idol that we chase with complete abandon, all the while forgetting that God has said that he alone has the power to satisfy us. We've made the lie of, I just want to be happy, the idol that we set up and throw everything else away in its pursuit as though happiness were a fruit of the spirit and not a fleeting emotion that is dependent upon surroundings. We've made the status symbol of nicer and nicer stuff the idol that we establish instead of kingdom advancement see the thing about idols is we set them up and we don't even realize that they've captured our heart in the process until the time comes for them to come crashing down idols man they're rough sometimes even in christian circles we do this same thing in christian circles it may sound a little bit like this boy howdy if we only had carrie job leading worship whoo jesus would move 
An idol may sound like this. Boy, howdy, if we could go back and just do those good old hymns, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit would move freely. Just doesn't work that way. It really, really doesn't. Loretta, it's not a conversation I want to have with you right here and now. We can feel free to discuss it afterwards if you would like. But you know what? People complained about come just as I am, and they couldn't believe that that was a song they were singing in church anyway. And how dare they sing those new music, and yet it's a song that today we herald as one of the greatest songs that was ever there. Has little to do with the song, has everything to do with the intent of our heart to worship in spite of it. It doesn't matter what song it is. I can worship to the oldest hymn that you can find. And if we want to go way back, let's grab some Celtic songs. And let's go just as far back as we can go. How about we go back to just singing out of the, the, uh, the good old book of Psalms and say, this will be enough and let's sing it that way. Because surely, surely if we're going to go back and sing it the way God wants it, that has to be it. At the end of the day, it has everything to do with our heart for worship and not the song that has been sung. Now, we can talk about style and preference all day long, and that's a different discussion for a different day that will not be had in this pulpit. But at the point that we decide our preferences trump what Scripture says, that I will worship the Lord my God, regardless of what has happened, we are placing an idol before God. We allow these idols to be set up in our lives each and every day, so many different ways as we go. We set them up and we say, oh yeah, that's the one for me. I'm going to hang on to that one, not even realizing it's preventing us from truly experiencing God. We set these idols up to say, you know what, I don't have to forgive because they've not asked for forgiveness. When Jesus said, you know what, if you get to the altar and you remember that your brother has all with you, you're to go to them. We forget that the Bible says we have a part to play. Before we know it, lack of intimacy has happened because we set up these idols that say, you know what, these are more important than God. They represent God. And that's what an idol is. An idol is this statue. It's a figure. It's a, it's a piece of memory that we set up and say, this is what represents God. When Moses went up on the mountaintop, when he was up there meeting with the Lord, he was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. He was with the Lord and had this most amazing experience. God gave him the Ten Commandments. And as he's coming back down, he realizes something has happened in the camp. And as he's making his way down in just 40 days, his brother, Aaron, has set up and built a golden calf so that the people could have something that represented God. When God had just brought them out by his mighty hand, and now they're turning back to what they've always known. God's always leading us into something in our future. God's always leading us into something where he says, this is for you. This is for today. This is for now. This is where I want you, and it's all about my heart and my desire to experience in him. But an idol will always keep me from experiencing what God has for me today. The thing about idols is that we don't even realize they've captured our heart. And in the process of time, our world seems to come crashing down. This seems to be the story of the children of Israel all throughout the Old Testament. Why? Why is this over and over repeated day after day after day throughout Scripture? Well, I would contend that it's the story of human nature. We want to establish things here and now that temporarily gratify us instead of waiting and holding on to someone that will completely satisfy us. There's an interesting passage that we're going to look at in Ezekiel where God deals with idolatry at the very heart of it. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, it says that some of the elders 
Some of the leaders of Israel visited me. Ezekiel's writing this from first person. And while they were sitting with me, he says, this message came from the Lord. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their request? Tell them this is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols. And so I, my people, idols. Back in verse 4, it says, these, the people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. In verse 5, God tells them, after I've rendered this, after I've dealt with them in that response to the greatness of their idolatry, I will capture their minds and hearts. See, our hearts are not built to be divided. We were not made to serve two masters. They're built to serve God and he alone. They're made for him. God's not, God is, is perfectly willing to leverage our calamity of our idols to recapture our hearts and minds. We often look at these horrible moments that happen in our lives where it seems like our world has come crashing down as though this was the worst thing that could ever happen. The pain of the moment outweighs our spiritual processing. It makes it so that we don't even realize that this is the kindness of God that's drawing us to redemption. God will use whatever means are necessary to get our attention. He'll use whatever it takes. He will use the smallest and, and slightest of thing, and he'll use the greatest of, of calamity that happens. God will use that to get our hearts refocused and our attention regained on him. I find it interesting that the Hebrew word here in, in Ezekiel for hearts, uh, hearts and minds in verse 5, when it says, I'll capture the hearts and minds of the people, that word in the Hebrew is one word, and it's the root word for heart, it's the root word for mind, it's the root word for emotion, it's the root word for all of these in the Hebrew. God says, I'm not going to just capture part of who you are, I'm not going to just capture part of what's happening, I'm going to capture the whole essence of who you are. I'm going to capture everything about what is going on in your life, I'm going to capture your will, your mind, your emotions. I want to capture everything. I'm not looking to leave anything out. I want everything that you are. I want everything that you will be. I want everything. God, is, God will use whatever he has to do to capture all of who we are. When, when, when he says here, I'm going to capture your heart and your mind, it's, it's that all-encompassing us that we find there. It's the us that we're constantly trying to define. It's the us that we're constantly trying to protect and yet give away at the same time. That's what God is after, every bit of who we are. Uh, the very end of this prophecy down in verse number 14 has some interesting thing that God says where he says, I'm going to do all of this so that the people will learn not to stray from me and not to pollute their lives with sin. See, that's what idols do. They cause us to stray. When our workplaces are idle, we stray. We stray from home. We stray from our, our spouse. When, 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 when accomplishment is our idol, we stray from the things that matter most. The greatest danger that I, that I worry about and I fear most greatly for me in my own life is to become a professional Christian. Man, I have been praying this week, God, would you again recapture my heart? Would you again recapture my mind, my will, my emotions? Would you again recapture everything that I am? I don't want to be led astray. I don't want to allow my life to be polluted with sin. The Old Testament is full 
These illustrations that lead us to New Testament fulfillment in the life and the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus even addressed this. He addresses this very thing in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40. In this, this passage, just preceding it, he's literally shut down the Sadducees and their arguments. Uh, they've come to him with these questions, and they're trying to, to catch him in a lie. They're trying to catch him in a moment. And he says, you know what? It doesn't work that way, fellas. And literally... Uh, shuts them up and they don't have anything else to say. So like really good religious people, the Pharisees hop to. And they say, you know what? Here's the deal, Jesus. We've got a question for you. Again, trying to trap him. And it says uh, in verse 36, they say, teacher, what is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, to love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all of the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. These two commands, I find interesting that they're quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Jesus stepped back into the, the historical written word in the Torah and said, you know what? These two things summarize everything that God was trying to do in their lives in all of the Old Testament scripture. And he says, you know what? Here's the most important things that will carry you from this point forward. Love God with everything you've got and love people with everything you've got. Love them. Genuinely love them. Give everything you've got. The last time I checked in the English dictionary, the definition for all still hasn't changed. It still hasn't changed. It still doesn't mean less than everything. It means we give everything we've got. I even went so far as to check the Greek dictionary for this word, which is translated all. It's the Greek word holos. And you'll never guess what it means. All. All. I thought, well, maybe that wouldn't be enough. I know some of you are saying there has to be more to it than that. So if you need a little bit more definition of what that word also means, it means whole, complete in all of its part or full. Have you ever had a moment where your heart was just full because of something that had happened with a family member? I mean, I can remember that feeling of, man, my heart is full to overflowing because of watching my kids do things that they enjoy and excelling at them. To watch that loving experience explode on the scene. I think God looks down at us and he says, you know what? I am most, I am most satisfied with you when you are most pleased with me. Uh, I think John Piper said it that way. They may have those reversed. I am most pleased with you when you're most satisfied in me. That's what, 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 what God wants from us. He's most pleased with us when we're satisfied in him. His heart is full when we don't want anything else but him. When that's all that he, we want, then he is the most pleased in that. I just want to glorify God in every area of my life, not just the parts that publicly matter, but in every part of my life. I'm happy that it says and still means all. We like that word all. We're Americans. We like that word all. All encompassing every part of it, right? I, I like all. I like that word a lot. It kind of kind of like how, how much of the fajitas I'm going to eat at lunch. All of them. Uh, how much of the queso are you going to use? All of it, right? How, how much money is my wife going to spend? All of it. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's what those kids are going to do. That's for sure, right? 
See, the Bible still makes it plain that we're to love God with our whole heart. Not part of it. Not some of it. Not the parts that are convenient. Not the parts that don't require anything from us. He wants all of it. And if he has it all, then guess what? He's going to do whatever he has to to destroy the idols that we've set up in our lives. We just have to be willing to allow him so that we don't repeat Ezekiel chapter 14 where we come to God in hopes that he'll give us an answer of how to be free from the consequences of our sinful behavior without removing the idols. See, back in Ezekiel 14, that's what they were doing. They were coming to, coming to the prophet saying, I need a word of how to get out of this issue, how to get out of this calamity. And you know what else they did? They went and got um, uh, uh, false prophets and convinced them to prophesy from the Lord what they wanted to hear. Well, we've got to get past that idea and say, God, you can have every part of who I am, all of me, every bit of who I am, you can have it. Every portion, every want, every desire, every little thing that I might say up that would separate me from you, you can have it all. See, God's not down with letting us serve two masters. But then we've got to back up and say, well, if I'm going to let God capture my heart and I'm to love him with my whole heart, what does it mean to love? What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it's kind of like this. In the Greek here, the word for love, it's an active word. It's a verb. It means it has to be demonstrated. It's not something that you can do just by saying it. We get really good at this. We're Christians, right? We're supposed to say, I love you. We're supposed to say, hey, you know what? God bless you. I love you. God, I want the best for you. But don't ask anything of me that might cost me something personally because I don't know that I can handle that. Uh, love is absolutely going to cost me something. I love my kids, so it costs me something. I love you. It's going to cost me something. I love you deeply. It's going to cost me something of myself. It's going to cost me time, treasure, talent. It's going to cost me. In each and every one of our lives, love is something that must be demonstrated. It's not something we can sit back and say, oh, yes, 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 I love you, brother, but don't count on me for anything. And love has to be demonstrated. A captured heart is a consumed heart. Nobody had to tell you when you were in love with your spouse. When you fell in love back in that marriage analogy, nobody had to tell you that you loved them. Nobody had to tell you, hey, this is what you're experiencing. No, 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 no. It's something that we absolutely felt. We absolutely knew. It was something that we demonstrated because it, capture, it captured everything. It's not, love is not something that simply gets verbalized or theorized of what love might look like. It has to be synthesized into our actions, our thoughts, our emotions, our will, our heart. It has to be captured in everything because a captured heart is a consumed heart. If we've been captured by his, his love, then we're going to be active in demonstrating our love for others. A good indicator of our level of captivation is the depth of sacrifice we're willing to make for our loved one. A good indicator of our level of captivation is the level of sacrifice we're willing to make. It's easy to look at newlyweds and go, oh, they're so in love. Man. Look at them kids, wow. 
And you know what? We get those good, you know, those, those ushy-gushy moments, right? You know, at wedding times and shortly thereafter. And, you know, watching Christian and Shannon with the baby um, on Facebook and seeing all their pictures. Boy, you can just tell they're, oh, they love that baby and they love each other. You know, a more defining picture of love is the picture that I see ever so often of Carol's mom and dad come up when both of their health is fading and they've demonstrated love for one another through the ages, over and over, making the sacrifice to give to the other what they had to give for the other. If we love little, there will be little sacrifice. But with great love comes great sacrifice. Conclusion of World War II, after victory had been conceded by the Germans, the U.S. soldiers would routinely be tasked with taking care of and finding a place for the orphans that were left from this horrendous war. They would make arrangements to get them delivered to orphanages that were set up on the quick and uh, making sure that these kids were fed and that they were clothed and that they had uh, heat in the winter and that kind of stuff so, so that they, they would be able to live to rebuild the society of their home country. Well, one day, while one of the convoys of these U.S. troops was traveling down the road through a bombed-out city, and an older gentleman came carrying a little boy, and he approached the soldiers and tried to give them his son, begging them, please take my son. I can't provide for him. Please take him. And the soldiers refused and said, I'm sorry, sir, there's no possible way that we can ever take your child. We only take orphans. He has you to provide. And he said, there's no way I can provide. Please, please take my son. And the soldiers insisted, the only way we can take him is if he were an orphan and he's not an orphan. The gentleman looked at the soldiers and said, so if my son was an orphan, you would take him? And they said, yes. And he turned his son to look him in the face and said, I, I love you. Hugged him and squeezed him tight. Handed him to the soldier and said, I will arrange it. Turned and walked away from them and everyone knew what he was going to do. You see, when our hearts are captured, when our hearts are full of God's love, there's no sacrifice too great. There's no cost too high. There's no calamity not worth enduring in order to be able to have our lives freed from the idols that have so crippled us from experiencing all that God has for us. You know, idols come in many shapes and forms. Here's the thing. Sometimes we're happy with them. We're happy with them. We like our idea of this is the way it's supposed to be. I know I sure do. When God begins to deal with our heart, he's going to do whatever it takes to dig down deep in us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've been living with idols in your life.
They don't happen. Nine times out of ten, idols don't get set up quickly. They're slow and sure events that eventually our heart changes and our attention changes. Slowly they establish themselves, but surely they're robbing us of our ability to give God our whole heart. Today, I want to invite you to kick over those idols and to let God do the work of removing them from your life. As easy it is, as it is for these idols to slowly but surely establish themselves in our lives, the work of removing them is not a slow and sure process. See, in the Old Testament, when God told the children of Israel to remove the Asherah poles that had been serving for 1,300 years at that time, uh, when he told them you have to get rid of them, these are idols in your lives, they immediately went and broke them down, tore them down, and, and threw them away. See, in our lives... These idols sometimes, they're not so easily identifiable as this physical Asherah pole that we've built. Sometimes it's an idol that's in our heart where we've allowed someone to become that person that we would rather live up to their expectations than God's. <clears throat> sometimes an idol is my own personal preference. Sometimes an idol... sets itself up in varying ways. Would you just ask the Lord with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just ask the Lord, what's he saying to you? Would you just allow him to speak to your heart this morning? Point out an area that you need to have your life recaptured. You need to allow him to recapture your heart, to recapture your emotions, to recapture your, your thoughts. Jesus. Come on, just lift up your hands all across the room. Lord, we just surrender to you this morning. just surrender to you. God, I invite you to search my heart. I invite you to search my, my soul. I invite you to search my will, my emotions. God, anywhere that I have established an idol in my life, I'm asking you, God, to point it out. I'm asking you today, oh God, God help us to come honestly before you. Jesus, God, would you arrest our hearts? Would you arrest our minds this morning? Capture us again, oh God. God, you've never failed us. You've never let us down. You have never once left us lacking anything. But Lord, you've always been there right along the way. Every step of the way you've been there. So Lord, today, would you capture us again? If that's you this morning, you would just say, Pastor Travis, that's me. You can put your hands back down for a moment. If you would just say, Pastor Travis, that's me. I've allowed some idols in my heart, and God's pointing them out. Would you just slip up a hand? 
here's what I'm gonna ask us to do now as a family. I'm gonna ask everyone to please stand across the room. I'm gonna ask our prayer team to begin to make their way this way. And you know what, if you raised your hand and said, Pastor Travis, that's me, I've got some idols I've set up. I have an area in my life that I need to just surrender to the Lord and allow him to capture my heart and allow him to, to capture all of who I am. And if that's you this morning, we want to invite you. But if you need prayer for anything, I know there's some of you, man, you have been fighting and fighting and fighting. It just doesn't seem like the walls are ever going to come down on this, this city you seem to be circling over and over again. But you know what? Today could be the very day that the walls come crumbling down. But you need somebody to agree with you in prayer. We want to be.